is all to us, that we don't just sing these words, but we believe them and we live them out every single day. Welcome here. Uh, my name is Tyler, one of the pastors. A joy uh, to be able to wrap up our series, uh, our You Asked For It series, and welcome uh, to everyone watching on our live stream. Mom, if you're watching, happy Mother's Day. Just had to say that. That's what you do. It's a good boy. All right, that ticks the box. No, uh, what we wanted to do is wrap up this series. And again, thank you for your questions. My goodness. Uh, it was an incredible experience for a staff team uh, to receive these, and we continue to receive them. We have so many uh, that we know that this will not be the end of this series. We will enter into this again someday uh, because there is just so much good that we have uh, been able to learn uh, just to be able to understand what is the culture, what is the pulse of not just Westview, but, but the world in which we live, the people who we love and spend time with and call family and neighbors and friends. Uh, and we want to engage and wrestle those hard questions. And so thank you uh, for all that you contributed. And we look forward to uh, diving in this morning. Uh, the last couple of weeks felt like kind of hot topics. And this morning uh, maybe goes in a bit of a different direction. But the question we're asking is this. It's why do churches function like businesses? With boards and chairs and budgets, it seems so political. Can't it just exist as a body of believers meeting together uh, to pray and do good? And this is such a good question. Uh, this is an important question uh, because I think what this does is it helps us really begin to put a framework to why we do what we do. And what is this thing called church? So let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, we thank you that you are all to us. And I pray that as we spend time this morning wrestling through this question and hearing from you through your word, uh, that we would leave here uh, having heard from you uh, with a deeper understanding of who you are, of what is the purpose for why we do what we do and why it is that we gather here and what that looks like for today. And so I thank you. Uh, for this chance to be a part of this series and to unpack this question this morning. Thank you uh, for all of those who contributed questions, Lord, as we wrestle through these hard topics. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you this this morning. Here's the first question. What's the point of church? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a lot. That's an easy question, right? We'll be done in a few minutes here. But before we go any further, let me say this. We're going to get into, as Gary said, in a few moments uh, at the end of the service, a time of Q&R. Uh, and the first service was incredible. Lots of great questions as we wrestle through uh, this topic. And so we encourage you as well. Uh, you can pull out your phone, your iPad. Uh, you can even stand in the audience uh, at that time of Q&R and ask questions. But we want to wrestle through this. Uh, and so we want to encourage you to do that. For those of you watching on our live stream as well, uh, feel free to submit those questions to ask at westviewchurch.ca. Uh, and we will spend some time later on going through these questions. Uh, but what I wanted to do as well with our question that we're going to look at this morning is I want to flip it a bit. We're going to spend some time looking at the second part, and then we're going to come back again to the first part. So follow along. But in your bulletins this morning, or in your notes app on your phone, I want us to do a little bit of an engagement exercise here as we get going. And that is, I want for you to write down some thoughts that come to you when I say this question. What is the point of church? Take a minute, and as I give you that space, I'm going to walk us into some scripture. But what is the point of church? What are some words? What are some thoughts? What are some ways that come to you when I ask that? Because I think for all of us, we get asked this question. 
that there are many people in our spheres of influence who ask, what in the world are you doing on Sunday morning? And so let's be able to enter into that and engage in that conversation. What is the point of church? I think one of the most often quoted passages that helps us understand what is the point of church is in the book of Acts. And it's in Acts 2.42. And it says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And so what Luke, the writer of Acts, is helping us to understand here is that these are kind of the critical marks of the church. That these maybe were some of the words or maybe this was the scripture that you thought of just moments ago as to what is the point of church. That this is essentially what we are called to be and to do. These things, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, communion, of prayer. That we want to be a church that prays, that we have elders in our prayer room every Sunday morning who want to be able to to hear you and pray for you and pray with you. That we as elders and pastors want to be praying for you throughout the week. And so please connect with us for prayer. We would love to be able to do that. We love the ability to have communion here, to break bread as for many of us this notion of, of gathering around a table of being able to gather together in our homes with loved ones to center ourselves around the table and to break bread and to share a meal is something many of us have longed for over the course of these years. And we want to continue to do that as a church, as the family of God in these days ahead. And so maybe some of these things help to frame that question and I encourage you to keep jotting things down and, you know, engage with it in that capacity or, hey, maybe even listen to me. But in 2008, there was an author that kind of emerged onto the Christian scene. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Francis Chan. And Francis Chan wrote this book called Crazy Love. And it kind of like, it went viral within the Christian world. I mean, even to the point where I'm told, Westview, we did a series based upon that book kind of around that time. It was an influential book kind of in the scope of how do we live out this faith. Well, Francis, a few years later, wrote another book. And it was called The Forgotten God. And so Francis kind of began to look at the church. He began to look at kind of what we're doing, how we're living, what this all kind of looks like. And he began to notice something. And what he noticed was this kind of passion for God, this love of Jesus, and then this forgotten God. This third, this Holy Spirit that he didn't sense in many of the churches that he was engaging with, that we loved God and we loved Jesus, but we often forgot the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so he said this in his book. He said, if it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living inside him or her and the person who doesn't? And maybe that partially addresses our question this morning. Because I agree that it is good for us as believers to meet together, to pray, and to do good. But I think there's a key aspect in what Francis Chen is mentioning, and that is that the lives of those who are filled with the Holy Spirit should look different. They should look and act different as we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it raises another question, and that is if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and how we look and act should be noticeably different from the world, then does that mean that we shouldn't embrace or borrow or even kind of give any sort of credence to the systems and structures that we see in our culture? 
Because we see in Scripture verses like Romans 12, 2, that implores us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Or maybe 1 John 2, 15, that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Because I agree that the church was never or should never become a business. The church should never, never become a business. But like our question points out, then why does the church today seem to operate like a business does? A fellow by the name of Richard Halverson, he was a Presbyterian minister, served as chaplain uh, to the U.S. Senate. He put it this way. When the Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into a philosophy. When the Romans got it, they turned it into a government. When the Europeans got it, they turned it into a culture. And when the Americans got it, they turned it into a business. Now, before you get out your pitchforks, I'm not throwing shade at our neighbors to the south. Okay? I got family down there, lots of them. Uh, and we love them, and some of you are. And so just hear me when I say this. But I think it raises an important point. That it's a sobering reminder to us of what the purpose of church is. There's an article I was reading as I prepared. It's a bit of a long one, so kind of track with me here. But it says this. It says, the line between business and church is messy. And I think we can agree to that. It's a line everyone must walk, and nobody's sure how to do it well. Is this a church or a business? Or could it be both? Most, if not all, churches are nonprofits, which makes everything twice as difficult. The majority of church costs are funded through congregational donations, which makes them feel non-business-like in a sense. It's, it's a relational business. You're not fighting for dollars, you're fighting for souls. And yet at the same time, you can't run a church without money. We often think that the business and church are opposites, that it's either about money, business, or about people, church. So before we get any further, I want to do a little bit of a history lesson that I think is going to just give us a little bit more context as we get going into this topic. Because we've learned from Scripture that the Lord cares for his church by working through his people who carry out his mission. That's the missio Dei, the mission of God that we are invited as participants into. And he uses each one of us as believers, filled, anointed with the Holy Spirit, to live this out. But you see, as the New Testament church grew, as we read in Acts 2.42, the Lord began to increase the numbers of those who were gathered together. Sometimes thousands a day. And it was just this incredible revival that took place in that time. And in that time, these believers began to form congregations. They began to gather as churches. This is what Paul is writing when he sends letters to Ephesus and to Colossae and to Philippi. He's sending letters to these churches, to these gatherings, giving them instructions on how to be and live as the church. And so elders were appointed. Deacons were appointed. There began to be leadership that came to be in these churches to help be able to see the church do what the church was called to do. But you see, then you fast forward to the Roman Empire, and that's where things begin to get a little sketchy. Because then as we looked at our text in that quote there, we begin to see some changes in the way that the leadership and hierarchy began to structure itself. 
About 400 AD, the bishop of Rome essentially became the most important person within the church. And then you see that morphing towards the papal form of governance. The pope declaring himself to be the head of the church. This monarchical rule of mono being one and arco being rule. Essentially taking all of the position of prominence and putting it on one. And so then the Reformation takes place in 1517 where Martin Luther, as looking and understanding from the scriptures, says, no, 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 Christ is the head of the church. And so then this Reformation period begins to lay out the groundwork for where we see the local church gathering now, this assembly, this priesthood of all believers that each one of us are gifted with abilities that the scriptures say in Corinthians to love and serve and live out the purpose of the church. That rather than the power being solely upon the head of one, that we are shared. We are co-laborers to see the work of ministry thrive in our local context. So while may it seem to be similarities within the business world, within the leadership structure of where these kind of systems and structures and principles come from, I'd argue actually that we see it in Scripture. Because I think there is this propensity to have this like utopian desire that why don't we just kind of gather together and sing kumbaya and do good and love one another and just do away with all of the politics and hierarchy and structure and and all of this. And so my question to us this morning, and this isn't rhetorical, I want us to engage with this, is is that sustainable? Is that even possible? Is that just hopeful or is that even a possibility? So it reminds me of a joke. All right, it's terrible. It's a bad joke. Please forgive me. I'm going to use it regardless. What do you get when you put three Baptists in a room together? Four opinions. Oh, God, it's terrible. Right? But it's that reality, and it's the worst joke ever, and I had to preface it that way, because the truth is when we gather together, there is always going to be this collective of thought and desire and will, and how do we find balance in the midst of all that tension? How do we live that out if with three people together, there's four different opinions? So it brings us to our second point this morning, this idea of systems and structures. Because the first part of our question was this, why do churches function like businesses? With boards and chairs and budgets, it seems so political. And I think it's important to be clear that not all churches function like businesses, and maybe just maybe it's not all bad for there to be some semblance of, of similarity. But where did these structures and systems originate? And so what I want to invite us into this morning is I want to spend time in Exodus. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open them up, turn on your Bible apps, however it is that you can engage with the text this morning, I want us to land in Exodus 18, specifically verses 13 to 23. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And so Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. 
The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times and have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, let them decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain of all these people and they will go home satisfied. So it's an incredible text and maybe not always one that we go to when we think of systems and structures and leadership, but it's a beautiful picture of what it means to be the body, what it means to lead in times of uncertainty and challenge and struggle. And it's amazing that Moses even listened to his father-in-law. How many of us listen to our father-in-laws? Don't answer. Don't, don't go there. Don't. One economist wrote this way. He said, growth begets complexity. Right? The reality of growth is that it creates complexity. Because the reality is any living organism has this design within it to grow. Just look at me in COVID and you'll understand, right? Like it's that desire of any living organism is to grow. It is to get bigger. It is to expand. I genuinely believe that we have to do a lot of work to stop the church from growing because God's desire and will is to see it expand, is to see it grow. But what the story of Moses and Jethro helps us to recognize is that we are never called to do the work of the Lord on our own. This lesson helps us to recognize, I think, that systems and structures are scriptural. Look again what Jethro says to Moses in verses 17 and 18. What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. So this whole idea of coming together and praying and doing good is good. Hear me when I say that, church. It is good for us to do that. The challenge comes, the trouble comes when there is more good to be done than there is of those in the facility and in the space and in the assembly. So then what do you do? What's the solution? Well, Jethro tells Moses in verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. There's an ethic about them. There's an integrity piece about them. There's a, a spiritual leadership and authority and capacity. They seem to be following the ways of God. And what he says, appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. What Moses is hearing from his father-in-law is do the most good. But don't do this on your own. Don't try to shoulder the load. Rather, empower others and ensure there is accountability so that the work gets done. So that the good gets done. And that lives are impacted and God is glorified and the church continues to grow. 
And so when you step back and you kind of look at the church and if you talk to your neighbors and your family and your friends, I understand that I think from, from the outside looking in, there is this appearance of politic and polity and all this organization and they just kind of scratch their heads and wonder, is this really the way it should be? But I think if we look at Exodus 18 and we begin to understand the heart of God as Jethro and Moses enter into this conversation, that structures and systems weren't imposed to hinder. They were imposed to help. That the heart of these is to help the work of God continue. But I want to camp on something for a few moments because I think it's important. And I think that looking at this question, this is kind of, just kind of right below the surface. And that's this that I think there has been incredible amounts of damage done by people in authority through these systems and structures. It's like the old hymn says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And I think many of us have experienced that. I think that's what's lurking just below the surface of this question is that we're hurt. And that these systems and structures that were in place, assuming to see the church grow, caused us to be hurt. I don't know how much of my story I've shared. I've I've talked a lot about this, but in the four churches I've pastored in over the course of 18 years, two of them that I've served in, not this one, but two others, I have watched their lead pastor fail and disqualify himself from ministry. And the hurt that that has caused me, let alone the church and the community, outside of the wonderful work of Christ, feels almost irreparable. And people left, and people were hurt, and people haven't returned. Because these systems and structures that were in place failed. And so, I think when we look at this conversation, and when we look at this question, what I desire from these and what I think Exodus and other scriptures in the Bible that will, uh, I wish we had time to unpack, they're in your notes this morning, is that why we have these and I feel God's heart and desire for them is this, is that they can ensure that there is healthy accountability. Because the capacity for the church to grow, as we've already talked about, that I believe is its natural tendency, that it will grow and God will bless it and people will come to faith and the Lord will be glorified and we will see this space filled. That that is what we want more than anything else is to see this space filled. But what I'm worried about is when we lack this healthy accountability, when systems and structures begin to be established in churches where there is none of this, we see the result. Just look at the last five to ten years and look at the celebrity pastor culture and look at the headlines and look at the news and look at the blogs and tell me what happens when pastors put themselves above everything else and we see the trauma and we see the results and we see the hurt and we see those churches absolutely decimated. I went to one of these churches a number of times when I pastored in Vancouver. It was only a few hours away, and we would go because it was an incredibly big church that was doing incredible things in ministry, but yet the systems and structures inevitably led to its downfall. 
And I think it's because of this that there was lack of healthy accountability. You see, a church board undergirds the pastors and the church. Churches that grow have pastors and church boards that are in unity. They're providing spiritual support and accountability and love and vision and purpose. Some of you have been to churches where the boards spend more time bickering over budgets and bylaws and buildings and they just don't grow. Because I think they've lost the purpose and the vision for what we've read this morning. So maybe let me illustrate it this way with a bit of a story. Okay, so Charity loves gardening. Uh, she's incredible. Uh, it's an amazing experience to watch what she can do uh, with just a pile of dirt um, and some seeds. And so last year uh, in our garden, uh, I'm using the royal we term here, but you understand it's not me, right? Okay. Uh, we planted some, some beans. And, and I probably bought the wrong ones, and you'll understand why I'm saying that in a minute. Uh, and so we planted these beans in our garden, and, and they began to grow, because any living organism has a propensity to grow. And so they began to grow, and they did a really good job. She's really good at gardening, and so they started to grow and grow and grow and grow. And then we began to realize what was the problem, is these were the kind that like started like going everywhere. And so we had beans like taking over the tomatoes, and like choking out the strawberries. And these things just were, they were doing incredible because she's a really good gardener. But the problem is, is they lacked something. Structure. A trellis. Anything for those beans to be able to latch onto in order to grow even better to their fullest capacity and potential where I'm sure they could have fed a small village but they were missing that structure. And I think that's when we look at this idea of what we read in the early church of Acts as they gathered together to pray and to break bread and to do good and the Lord blessed and he grew those churches. What we begin to see through the scriptures is this idea of God for structure. This trellis so that those beans could grow and flourish and do what they were intended and designed to do just like how we grow to our fullest potential, the way that God has designed and created each one of us to do. So is it good? Is it okay for Christians to simply gather together and, and pray and do good? Yes, absolutely. And I would say that I would hope that we do that on a regular basis. We even give a name to them. They're called community groups. They're this micro of a macro, this idea that when we gather together in our homes, we gather like the church did in Acts. And we gather to what? To pray? To break bread? To live out our mission? To have accountability? To create some structure? And to see the work of God take place through each one of us as the church, as the body. God knew what he was doing. And like I said, there's a number of scriptures. I put them in your bullets and I'd love for you this week to wrestle with those, engage with those, go through those in Ephesians and Timothy and James and Acts. Just reminders to us of what the church is about and why we do it the way we do it. So are these systems and structures helpful or hurtful to the mission of God and, place, and the place of church today? And I would say yes. Yes, they can be helpful. And yes, they can be hurtful. And let me be the first to say this morning 
there is no perfect church. There are no perfect people. Me simply showing up this morning ruined all of that. It's true. But my desire is that for each of us that we commit, that we find that we're a part of a church that helps us each grow more and more and more like Jesus. That we recognize that these systems and structures are like the lattice for those beans to latch onto and to thrive. Because without them, it just goes rampant and wild and it begins to do a whole lot of not good, even if it looks good from the surface. I want to invite the worship team back here as we uh, kind of begin to, to draw this morning to a close. And again, I want to give you that opportunity, if you haven't already, to, to wrestle through some of this. And uh, we had some great questions uh, in the first service, and uh, maybe we'll rock through some of those again this morning. If you have others, uh, Gary's going to kind of handle that. But worship team, come on up here, and let's begin to, to kind of wrestle through this again this morning. So, yeah, thanks, uh, Tyler. And again, uh, those that are joining us by live stream, you can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca. And those of you here this morning, you can do the same thing. Or if you want to stand, I'll bring a microphone to you and you can ask your question. Uh, we did have uh, a couple of questions. Uh, so, so this one came in and, um, you know, it's kind of like two parts. One is, uh, the first part is, do you feel like, the systems and structures that are in place, sometimes like hierarchy and titles, uh, can be a discouragement to people or prevent people from, from connecting and being part of church. That's a great question. What I loved coming here to Westview is this. You don't see placards on our doors. We don't often put titles to our names as prefaces. And we've set up a, a culture, and, and I believe... Uh, a space where we recognize that we are among equals, mm. that we desire your voice. That's why we asked you the questions, not just coming up with our own thoughts and, and ideas for the series even. And so I think we want that to be the way that we do church here at Westview, that we are a priesthood of all believers, that we are among equals, that you have giftings and qualifications and capacities that the church needs it needs and it desires for you to live those out. And so it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about this. It's about the church and the body. And we work together. Yeah, that's really good. You know, um, and it's something we're sincere about trying to emulate and establish um, as, as a, a, a cultural ethos here. So even when we introduce ourselves, mm -hmm. um, it's one of the pastors or, uh, you know, etc. cetera. Um, the second part of this question that this person sent in, and thank you for the questions that we're getting, is, uh, is church meant to be, um, regardless of role, more egalitarian and that all roles and positions are accountable to mm. all members? Awesome. Yeah. That's a great question. We're not going to be able to have all the time to unpack that one You're this right, morning. Right. But I think, again, when we understand this role of, of priesthood of all believers, God has called each of us. We might not all be evangelists, but we are all called to share the good news. Not all of us are necessarily fit for the role or called to the role in certain areas, but we all have the capacity to contribute mm. to the kingdom. And so I think, yes, there's giftings and qualifications, but what we desire for this church 
is that we are the priesthood of all believers, and when we win is when we thrive and work together. Yeah, that's good. And you were mentioning about the Holy Spirit and how um, we are equipped and enabled with the Holy Spirit. And so there is this connection between the Holy Spirit giving gifts and abilities to people, yeah. uh, which includes some of these things that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just another one here, like an example, uh, you've been in business, you know about uh, the business experience. Uh, what would you say is um, an example of a difference? Um, like we have staff meetings, for yeah. example, and, and businesses, organizations have staff meetings. Mm. Uh, what would be a difference? Um, so that's a system or a, a, a structure. We yeah. regularly, mm -hmm. weekly have staff meetings. What would be a difference between a staff meeting with, with what we're doing and a staff meeting yeah. at a bank? That's a great question. Or another organization. <laughs> I, I think first and foremost, we pray. We recognize that our capacity, our authority, all that we do is fueled by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing we do as we gather as a team is to pray. And we commit to that. And we, we begin and we end in prayer. And so we recognize that our dependency is upon Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, not just our own intellect or capacity or, or charisma, that we depend on God. And second, that we don't lord over each other. You don't... You don't come to the meeting as CEO and just dictate what's to happen. And we just, you know, how high do you want us to jump? Right. That we recognize the roles that we have and that we are co-laborers in the gospel with this role that we're called to do. Mm -hmm. um, although I heard in the first service, a fellow came up to me and said, the business I was a part of was not a Christian business. It was very ecumenical. It was very multi-faith, but we prayed. Okay. I, I was like, cool, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that, but I love it. Yeah, and, and I guess another sort of aspect of being accountable to all members is that as far as the, the functions and the roles within the church, it's primarily congregants. Yeah. The, the boards, the elders, like it's actually congregants that are in these positions. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll conclude there unless someone else has a, a question that you want to raise here. Um, uh, you know, we could, yeah, uh, I have questions now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anybody have one? All right, then. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Thank Tyler. you. My hope in all of this, in this question, in this series, is that these systems and structures, as I said, help not hinder this journey of discipleship that we're on. That, like I said, we have this capacity within us, this sin nature within us, that we are prone to wander, to leave the God that we love. And yet what we're called to as the body is to this mutuality, this interdependence, that we are a part of something where we function best when we function together. Recognizing the giftings and capabilities and qualities that God has given us. Let me say it this way. Systems and structures can be good but they should never be a substitute for the work of our Savior through the power of the Spirit in the lives of each of us who are children of God. That we are called to be different, to look different and live different because we are filled with the Spirit. And while there is no perfect system and there is no perfect church, there are no perfect people, but we do have one who is, who was without sin, who lived a perfect life life who calls us to follow and imitate him.
Church, my prayer is through this series and through this morning and through all of the days of our lives, we desire through all things to imitate Christ. Jesus, thank you for this morning, for this time together. God, thank you for your word as it is spoken and challenged, equipped and encouraged us. May it excite us for the work of ministry that you invite us into as we leave from here this morning. Recognizing, Lord, that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have given each one of us gifts and abilities to be the body, to love our neighbor. And so thank you, Father, for the work that you are doing in and through each one of us. May these systems and structures serve to, to see the church thrive still in this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.